0: Welcome back to another episode of the, the E-Test Studio Times podcast with your host, Sam Austrian, Ben Dixon. Maryland football is 1-0. Week one is in the books. They defeated Buffalo at home 31-10, to and they'll have a matchup against Charlotte coming up on the road this Saturday. So uh, Ben and I are going to get into everything uh, from the matchup against Buffalo. Breaking down the running game, the quarterback situation, the defense, the wide receivers, everything. We'll get into that in a minute, and then we'll do a full preview of the Charlotte game coming up on the road. Uh, Ben, how are we doing?
1: Doing well. Ready to uh, analyze this game from this past weekend, get it in the books, and and look ahead to Charlotte.
0: Yeah, as expected, Maryland um, got off to a hot start, a solid victory. They were favored by 24 points coming in, according to DraftKings, against uh, Buffalo. They didn't quite cover that with a 31 to, to 10 victory. It was a 21-point victory, but uh, there, was some, there were some things they did well and certainly some things to improve on. We're going to break it all down, but first, let's start with the running game because there's a lot of question marks around the running game coming in. Roman Hemby was named the starter um, before week one, but Loxley, head coach Mike Loxley said a lot of guys are going to get touches because it's a young, inexperienced group. But the running game is really what carried the offense against buffalo is roman Hemby who only rushed um seven times but he had a, one huge breakout 70 yard run for a touchdown and he he uh, totaled 114 yards and uh two total touchdowns so what do you see from roman Hemby? and we want
1: yeah talk about a breakout performance for roman Hemby, the redshirt freshman didn't really play too much last year um had some garbage time against howard but did contribute a bit in the uh the pinstripe bowl victory over virginia tech uh roman looked great i mean he's the number one back um in in a committee, as you know, we expected, but it looks like he earned that number one job for a reason. Probably the most complete player of of all the backs in that room. Um, he can run the ball. He's got speed. He can pass protect. He can catch out of the backfield. And you know, he he kind of showed his speed more than anything Um, this past Saturday. Seven carries, 114 yards, two touchdowns. The 70 yard touchdown, which was crazy, the longest rushing touchdown in a Maryland uniform since Anthony McFarland did it three years ago against Rutgers. Um, I mean, you got to love what you've seen from him, but not only him, Antoine Littleton as kind of, you know, the second guy in that one-two punch, uh, really just a go-to in, in goal line situations and, you know, someone who, who can dominate under the backfield.
0: Yeah, and it wasn't just him. Like you said, it was Antoine Littleton, too. Um, Maryland's their touchdowns were rushing touchdowns. Um, so it was Antoine Littleton. He had two. And Both those were goal line touches that he got, and Roman Hemby also had two touchdowns. One of those was that 70-yard touchdown where he showed his breakaway speed. But it's also good that Maryland, from week one at least, they have running backs that can be reliable in goal line situations. Um, that's really important where you can, when you're inside the five-yard line, you can rely on your backs. Um, I think it was Antoine Littleton that just leaped over the offensive line one time on the one yard line. So if you have those power backs that can, that can um, really just get it in the end zone when you need them to, and also we'll have breakaway speed, which Roman Hemby proved obviously before the game, he was named the starter and Loxley said he was a Mr. Consistency, not just in the running game, but in the, in the blocking game too, which is really important um, out of their running backs. And, and he showed that. And, and yesterday Loxley was talking about how they utilized that his red shirt, um, eligibility wisely last season because he only played three games, meaning he could redshirt and he'll have an extra year of eligibility on the back end. Um, but he did play sporadically throughout the season, including in that bowl game win against Virginia tech last December. So I think all that experience and just him getting all those reps last season really helped him. And clearly he was working on his game, but that breakaway speed more than anything was, was on display. And and if Maryland can have a consistent running game, it's going to open this offense up. Like, like they haven't seen and in a way that Talia is really going to benefit from,
1: right? I mean, we kind of going into the season, the running backs were probably the, the most unproven group on that offense. Given you know the wide receiver group was expected to be one of the best in the country, you have Talia at quarterback, then you return your whole offensive starting line. So, it was, what were you going to get from that running back room? Um, they definitely answered the the that question in week one. We'll see as the uh, as the schedule progresses. But definitely, you know what you'd want to see from your running game, and and even Roman Hemby talked about it post game Saturday. The run game is very important in you know opening up the pass game for Talia and the rest of the offense. Um, if they can establish the run right away and set the tone, it it could be a huge help. Not only now, but when the Terps get the Big Ten play as well. Yeah,
0: gr- granted, it was it was against Buffalo. You know, not not even close to one of the best teams they're going to see this season. But it's it's about establishing, being able to establish the run early where it could be a threat and giving those young running backs confidence. Um and that's exactly what they did. You know, it's not the best defensive front that they're gonna see. Um, but the offensive line played really well, blocking for those guys, getting out on the second level blocks as well. And that that helped the the entire running game. And and if those guys are developing that confidence early on in the season, it's only gonna get stronger as as the year goes on against some stronger defensive fronts.
1: Absolutely. Uh, we don't we don't think Charlotte will necessarily pose that problem this week, but um we'll see about SMU and then you know schedule's heating up soon, so we'll we'll get a concrete answer on the running back room soon, but but the early impressions are definitely good.
0: Yeah, let's stick with offense here and we're gonna go to Talia Tagovailoa's performance. Um it wasn't his most sharp performance by any mean in a Maryland by any means in a Maryland jersey. He was twenty-one for thirty-one. Um, for 239 yards, he did have an interception. There's a bunch of times where he just he just looked a little off like he wasn't he wasn't as sharp as we've seen. You know, he's a relatively pretty accurate quarterback. There's a bunch of times he like in the first play of the game it was or not the first play of the game, but like one of the first drives. There was a deep ball and he usually never under throws deep balls. You know, he has a cannon on him and he just underthrew it. I think it, it might have been because he was hit. Um, he took a late hit, and it might have been roughing the passer on that play. It was a different play, but he just underthrew a deep ball. Would have been all the way for a touchdown, like a like sixty-plus yard touchdown. I forget exactly, but it was he just he just underthrew him. There was another time Jacob Copeland um was wide open, and he just threw it behind him or threw or sailed it over his head. Uh, he was just not not sharp, and then of course the interception. He sailed that over the receiver's head too, so it wasn't Talia's most sharp performance um one thing that loxley always talks about is when he has one bad play you don't want to make that two bad plays three bad plays which we've seen in the past from him and that's part of maturing as a quarterback i don't think we necessarily saw that but he just wasn't super accurate in week one he's going to need to play much not against charlotte this week but as big 10 play heats up but he's going to need to play much better but what were your impressions just from from talia's opening performance
1: yeah, I think pretty much the same thing you saw there, Sam. I know you mentioned it in your game story, and it was one of my takeaways as well. That wasn't vintage Talia about. It wasn't what, you know, Maryland fans have become accustomed to when he is playing his best. We've obviously seen the ups and downs from him as well. But like you said, that overthrow to Ty Felton in the first quarters is a play that really stood out to me. And then there were just some general, you know, short passes out of the out of the backfield that he missed. Um, some short passes to to wide receivers about you know some five and outs, ten and outs that he just wasn't sharp on. And those are the plays that he's going to need to be, you know not only 90%, 100% clean on moving forward when the Terps get to the Big Ten play, realistically, they'll have no chance against these teams. This team will go as far as Talia talk about Loa, Um, We've discussed this in depth. Um, I think Maryland fans understand that as well. Um, the team will go as far as he takes them, and, and he needs to you know, show what he saw saw in that drive, you know, not only the opening drive, but the drive at the end of the third quarter going to the fourth quarter that ended in, you know, Antoine Littleton's second touchdown. Um, If he can do that um, consistently in games, instead of showing those flashes, Maryland will be fine. And it could just have been a case of uh, first game jitters against Buffalo and kind of, you know, the first game rust as well. And, you know, having Dante Dimas and Jay Sean Jones and Jacob Copeland, Ty Felton, you know, guys that either were hurt last for the majority of last year, or are making an impact in this Terps offense for the first time. Um, I think the passing game will be fine, but if he keeps playing like, you know, how he did against Buffalo, which wasn't poor by any means, but it was, you know, average and he was making a lot of mistakes, it'll come back to hurt the Terps later in the year.
0: Yeah, and that's the big thing. It's consistency from him. I mean, we the expectation is really high for Talia for a reason. It's because he's that talented, it's because he's that gifted, and he's displayed that week over week throughout his Maryland career so far. So it's really just putting those consistent performances together. Of course, it's limiting the turnovers, making better decisions, which I think that's something he's improved on. But you know, that's what there's no like no one's hitting the panic button right now because he he missed a few balls. You know, um, he really like it's just about being more consistent as the year goes on and and being more accurate. And that's what that's what week one is is for. You know, you're gonna you haven't played against real competition other than your own team in months. So that's what that week is for. And i guess this next week too coming up is to kind of just get that rhythm back in real live game situations with your receivers and so there's no reason to be worried necessarily um but it certainly wasn't as sharp as performance but we certainly expect him to improve as the year goes on
1: yeah i I would definitely say no reason to be worried right now um whatever he does against charlotte probably no reason to be worried about there as well um i think smu is probably the first legitimate test and then obviously you know it, they're all tune-ups for the Michigan game. He can't be making those mistakes against Michigan, or there'll be the the sixty-five to nothing losses that we've seen in the past from Maryland.
0: Yeah, no, because there he he had one turnover, only one interception against Buffalo. But if he's playing a defense like like Michigan, like he's going to see down the road that those, he could have easily had three turnovers in that game with some of the balls he was throwing. Um, so yeah, he he can't put that performance up against some of those better teams in the country. But you mentioned the part of it is is with the wide receiver crew, um. You know, he's thrown a, hundreds of balls to Dante Demas and Deshaun Jones. But those guys haven't been on a real field in a while. They both had season-ending knee injuries last season. It was great to see them back. And they they were targeted early, both of them, in that first quarter. But, you know, it's building those reps back. Even though they're familiar with each other, they say they don't miss a beat. It's still building those reps back. Um, Like a guy like Jacob Copeland, who's a transfer. Obviously, they've thrown a lot throughout the offseason and <clears throat> in preseason in, in Or not preseason, but a preseason camp, I guess. But it's still developing those in-game reps, which is just different. That can't be played out in practice situations. So that's part of it, too. Uh, just getting on the same page with his elite receivers. But let's talk about Deshaun Jones and um, Dante Demas for a second. Deshaun Jones was targeted five times. He had four receptions for 70 yards. Dante Demas was targeted five times. And he had three receptions for 23 yards. Um, what'd you see from those guys to be back out there? They had both hadn't played in not quite a year, but almost a year. They had season-ending knee injuries last season, especially Dante Dimas, who miraculously came back this early when no one thought he would be ready to go from the start of the season with a with an ACL injury. What'd you see from those from those two guys?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think the obvious um, topic here is to start with Jay Sean Jones, who, who really was just. Excellent. Uh, Didn't even look like he'd be injured once, let alone twice. You know, Um, he was as smooth as can be, you know, rebuild that connection with Talia almost instantly. Um, Even though, you know, Rakim Jarrett had the the 110 receiving yards, uh, you can argue that Jay Sean was was the best receiver out there on Saturday. Um, He was just just looked like he he didn't skip a beat, to be honest. Um, Very impressed with, you know, his athleticism, his movement and everything coming off the injury um looks look completely healthy out there and looked like you know could be maybe the more most consistent receiver in this terp's offense and then on the flip side of that you know Dante demas um only 3 receptions for 23 yards um long longest reception of 11 yards wasn't much of a factor in in Saturday's off- offense kind of you know but th- I think the the biggest takeaway from that was that he was out there on the first play again like you mentioned it it was basically a miracle that he was out here for week 1 um, I, I think you'll see him kind of readjust to to the uh the the game like environment um and, and reestablish that great connection that he had with Talia Tugabello sooner rather than later. Um, you know, he he wasn't the biggest factor in Saturday's game, but I, I don't think that's that's the biggest takeaway. Um
0: no, not at all, because also they're not they weren't just gonna put him out there and he's gonna be playing 90% right. of the snaps. I mean, Loxley after the game said he was only playing like fifty to sixty percent of the snap the snaps, and that's gonna be a slow progression to get him back as it should be, because he shouldn't be playing. Shouldn't go hundred percent in all, all the way in the first game, especially against some lesser opponents. Maybe he'll, it'll be ramped up a little more against Charlotte this week. Um, or maybe it's going to be even a, a slower progression, but yeah, I mean, just Sean Jones has had two um, br- brutal um, injuries and has had to miss quite a bit of time in, in his Maryland career, just how he came back and didn't look like he missed, like didn't look like he missed any time. And him and Talia are always on the same page, always clicking, that's that's like people talk about the big three and, and Rakim Jarrett, who who had a great game. Um he had, he had over a hundred receiving yards for I think it was the, the fifth time in his career, I believe. Um yeah, yep. so yeah, so he had a great game, but people talk about the big three like Rakim, Dante, and Jacob Copeland, the the transfer from Florida. But if Jachon Jones may be the most reliable receiver, that just creates especially because that's like Talia's it seems like it's Talia's guy when he's on the field. He's almost like a safety blanket for him. He just loves targeting him. Um, you know, if he's if he's the fourth guy, which you could easily argue that maybe he he's a top one or two guy on the team. Um, it's just the wide receiver room is is just incredible.
1: It really is. Um, I think people maybe walked away a, a little disappointed from from what the wide receiver room gave. Wrong in in terms of you know that it wasn't you know an elite wide receiver room that put up. 300 receiving yards. 300 but I think yards.
0: that was also on Talia too. 100 like percent. sharp, and it, and that's just getting on the same page with those guys. But there's certainly no blame on the, on the receivers. I mean, Rick Kim did drop one pass, but you're not faulting him for that. They're just it, it takes a little bit of time to get on the same page when you open a season.
1: Of course, of course. I, and I was about to get to that point, you know, where there shouldn't really be any major takeaways that the receiving room isn't you know as good as we expected to be, or or Talia was you know. Poor, played poor, more poor than we expected him to play. Um, I think it, it, at the end of the day, it's Buffalo. Um, you have to be happy with with what you saw alone and just seeing Dante and, and Jay Sean back on the field, even if they combined for zero receptions for zero yards. Um, I, I think the best is definitely ahead for this offense, and I think it, it'll definitely take a step forward uh, this upcoming week against uh, this Charlotte 49ers team. That is not looking too good to him.
0: Yeah, yeah, not at all, and we'll get to that in a little bit. We'll also get to the, the defensive side of the ball, but, you know, it, it wasn't just Talia. The entire offense, you know, in third downs, that was something Loxley was not happy about after the game. They were not good at staying on the field on third downs on offensively. Um, there's a bunch of situations where they could have easily uh, kept up a drive. They should have really won by way more than 21 points, um, but they weren't very efficient on third down, which is something that's really important to winning, winning football games. On the other side of the ball, which we'll get to defensively, uh, they were they were phenomenal on third down of get in terms of getting off the field, but that's part of just again week one um, getting in a rhythm. It's not something to be worried about. And like you said, Charlotte's not going to be much of a test. Maybe another tune up, but then SMU will be absolutely. And then all right so let's get to the defensive side of the ball. Um I think the, they they played well. I mean the defense was like you know it's usually the offense that's getting all the praise with this team but the defense put a put a more complete game together than the offense did. Um they were they were really good like I said getting off the of third downs. Uh and Bennett, I mean he he had six pass breakups. Correct, right? 5 or 6. I think 5, but 5 pass 5 pass breakups in the week 1 against um, Buffalo. When last season he had 16 the entire season, which led all po- Power Five um, cornerbacks, and he had he had five in in week w- in week one. So I mean he is just phenomenal in coverage. He did drop. Um, an easy interception that easily could have been probably a pick six. And that's something he's talked about all offseason of he's trying to improve on. He wants to make those 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 pass breakups into interceptions and get those turn turnovers for himself. But also that really helps helps the team as a whole. But, you know, in coverage, he's phenomenal. The defensive front did a great job of getting to the quarterback, moving that pocket back, putting pressure on him, making him um kind of make difficult situations difficult decisions. Uh, so the defense put together a complete game, and and maybe it's it, it's I guess it's an encouraging sign. Again, not the best offense they're going to face, not even close. But what were your takeaways from the defense?
1: I think, like you mentioned, um, Jacory invented it has a chance to really have a special year and put himself in a place where he's going to be a bona fide NFL draft pick uh, this upcoming spring. I I think he was definitely you know hurting himself over not getting that you know. Interception that would have been a pick six because it really just went right through his hands. But he was in the right positions at, at pretty much all times on um, on Saturday. I think the one maybe con of the defense was some of these, you know, competitive penalties that that Loxley mentioned. Uh, a couple of pass interferences, holdings, all, and then the non-competitives, which were you know offsides, but also on special teams. Won't get too much into that. But you got to clean up the discipline in general. I, I wrote extensively about that and, 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 you know, it's as equal with all three sides of the ball as it is with the defense, but your and Bennett leading that secondary, um, they have a chance to be really, really good. Um, you have to like what you saw from, you know, Maryland's new starting safeties in, in Bo Braden and, and, uh, Dante Trader Jr. Uh, Bogard led the team, you know, with six tackles, and I think you have to give credit to the linebackers and the, the defensive line as well. Buffalo not a strong offensive line whatsoever, kind of you know, put together piece by piece, and and not sure if they really fit. But uh, the defensive line had a good game. Ami Fina, uh, Mona Laquita, just just pushing guys back. Um, yeah, gotta like what you saw from Jay Sean Barham and Van Darius Cowan and their Maryland debuts as well. Um, I, I think there's overall really strong game for the defense in Brian Williams' first game of his first full season, you know, calling the plays on the defensive end.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And and yeah, that's what people are going to want to see because they know the strength. People know the strength of this team is is the secondary, even though it's a young safety group. Uh, the cornerbacks are really experienced, and that's led by um, Jacorian Bennett and Tarheeb still. But it's really the defensive front. That people are, are questioning and they did a great job of, of moving that pocket back, like you said, and just getting to the quarterback. And that's going to be the key because they're going to face some tough offensive lines th- um, throughout the Big Ten. And they need to put pressure on the quarterback because when you put pressure on the quarterback, it, it helps your secondary. Your second, if your secondary, if your quarterback is all day back there, the secondary is going to get going to get tired there there's going to be openings eventually so it really starts with that defensive front and and that's where the question marks have been on this defense but they did a good job in <clears throat> in week one i also want to get to penalties um you, you mentioned it because that was a big problem and you could and you know what it, it was both both sides of the ball like jalen duncan had two penalties i believe both holdings um on the offensive line there was some defensive um defensive line like false starts it was just eight penalties i believe overall in the game you know, you could wa- wa- wash that up to be week one. You know, uh, that's why the discipline wasn't there exactly. You know, maybe uh, they're they're just trying to get their footing down. You know, it's but it's the thing is, it's a veteran group. They returned eight offensive starters on offense and seven defensive starters. You and last year penalties was their huge problem. I can point to so many situations in big games. Big Ten games where there was penalties that forced them into tough situations on third downs. They, they extended other drives to the other team, and, and you can't do that against great teams. They committed the second most penalties in the Big Ten last season. That needs to be cleaned up. To compete with some of the best teams in the conference. And yeah, it is week one, and maybe it will improve. But this is a veteran veteran group. And when when it was a huge problem last year, again, the second most penalties committed in the Big Ten, you really want to see that improvement forward because discipline is going to be a huge thing. And just Loxley talks about it all the time. It's 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 terps versus terps. And he's right when he says that you can't shoot yourself in the foot by by getting off the field when you're on offense, making yourself in difficult situations on third down. Or and vice versa on the defensive side of the ball when you're allowing the other offense to extend drive. So penalties really need to be cleaned up by the time Big Ten play rolls around.
1: Right. Uh kind of like you mentioned, Sam, this discipline has been a continuous problem um, for the team and, and the program. Oh, this has got to be the year they clean it up. They bring back the most starters in the Big Ten. There's really no excuses to be losing the game on stupid mistakes, whether you know they're the competitive or non-competitive penalties that, that Loxley um you know calls them. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, uh, being that it was week one against an opponent that they were going to take care of business uh, regardless, but they got to improve this discipline against Charlotte and SMU because by the time you get to Big Ten play, just like I said, with kind of Talia's mistakes, it's the same deal with the discipline. If if you keep making these kinds of mistakes, they're going to come back to haunt you and it probably won't end well for, for the team.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, and that's that's the big thing, and and discipline has been a huge question throughout the off because of all this Tony's committed last season, and you would hope just like with with veteran group, with the veteran leadership, with experience, that gets cleaned up. But eventually, this needs to be a more disciplined football team um, if they're gonna they, because they cannot shoot themselves in the foot against some of the best teams in the conference. All right, any other takeaways from the game, or or should we move on
1: to? I think we touched on everything. The discipline is probably the biggest actual takeaway from the game. I think everything else, uh given the opponent, you got to take it with the grain of salt. But uh excited to see the team, you know, develop from week one to week two this week against Charlotte. Yeah, and that's what they said. And I think we
0: agree with the uh, the sentiment was kind of they did they did certainly did some things well, but it was week one and and there was a lot to improve on as they move forward. And and Loxley has said that, that biggest jump is usually from week one to week two. Um we may not necessarily see that on display just because it's not a very good Charlotte team that they'll we'll be facing this weekend. Maybe we'll see it manifest itself in week three, but you know, that's, that's when Loxley said that jump usually happens, so we'll see because, of course, yes, it, it was week one and, and not, the, not the top-tier opponent, kind of like we saw last season when they faced a, a good Virgin, West Virginia team, and that was a phenomenal game, and they came out with a win in that one. Uh, Buffalo was a, a little less regarded um, than that. But all right, so let's get to Charlotte. This is... I don't know how else to put it—a bad, bad Charlotte team. And of course, when you're Maryland, you you don't look at that. It doesn't matter who the opponent is. You got to prepare how you prepare. You got to do what you do. And if you do those things right, the job will take care of itself. The win will come. Um, but from the outside perspective, this is a bad Charlotte team. I think you just told me before we recorded. The Athletic has them as the 131st um, team out of 131 teams in the entire country. They got smoked in their opener. Um, and then last week they played William and Mary, uh, an FCS opponent, I believe, right?
1: That is indeed an FCS opponent. Yeah, that's and an, an FCS, FCS
0: opponent. They lost 41, uh, to 24. They, they, they we don't know exactly who they're going to see a quarterback. Um, Darius Wilson, um, I mean, excuse me, that was William and Mary's, William and Mary's, uh, quarterback, uh, Xavier Williams, uh, played last, played last week. He is the leading passer as of now. He, he's 12 for 23 with 201 yards on the season, but they did have, have some injuries. Uh, Chris, Reynolds, Chris Reynolds for Charlotte, he was the, the quarterback in week one, but he had an upper body injury, so he didn't play last week. We don't know exactly how that's going to play out on um, this week, who's going to be on the field, regardless of who it is. I don't think Maryland's defense is going to have too, too tough of a time. What, what are you thinking about this Charlotte game?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, Charlotte, Charlotte losing to uh Florida Atlantic at, at or on the road, excuse me, week 0 by 30 points. Um not an ideal result. Um they had their starting quarterback in that game, Chris Reynolds, their their all-time leading passer in school history. Um he like you said, he was injured last week and and you know, Xavier Williams gave the Charlotte fans something to be excited about, but they still lost by 17 points at home to an FCS team, uh, albeit William & Mary. um, I believe they returned a lot of starters. But still, you you should have no business losing a game at home to an FCS opponent, let alone losing a game at home to an FCS opponent by three possessions. It's not a good look for the Charlotte team. I think they're rightfully ranked uh, 131 out of 131 right now. Um, I'm not sure if they're actually the worst team in FBS, but they've certainly been playing like that, and the results indicate that. Um, and really, you know, nothing went right for the Charlotte team last year. They're uh, all conference edge rusher. Um, he, he didn't even have a single tackle last week against William and Mary. So it, it, Charlotte is not looking good. This should be a game that Maryland should win easily. And we should see a lot of, you know, backups and freshmen get, get some playing time without burning their, uh, their red, their red shirt. Excuse me.
0: Yeah. Last week they played Howard the second week of the season. It was 62 to zero. I don't know if we're going to see quite that result, but. Like you said, um, the Charlotte team does return six starters to their defense. But last week against William Mary, again, FCS team, they allowed almost 20 yards per, excuse me, per completion. Um, So when you kind of look at last week and this Maryland offense, you know, other than that Roman Hemby run, they didn't really have a lot of like big plays, which this offense certainly is capable of. And we kind of expect coming into the season because of all the playmakers and the arm that Talia has, Um, you know, there was that one, Underthrown ball that we talked about that Talia thrown, which could have been a big play. I think we're going to see a lot more big plays. At least then try to go over the top a lot more because this Charlotte secondary is bad, and and they're going to have a lot of chances to make some of these big plays. I agree with you that there's going to be a lot of backups playing by the by the second half. By the time the fourth quarter ro- rolls around, um, I don't think Charlotte has much of a chance. The line, according to DraftKings Sportsbook, is 27 and a half, which is really really low in my opinion. Um. Last week it was against Buffalo's 24 and Maryland didn't quite cover. They they won by 21, but this Charlotte team is way worse than that Buffalo team. And, and Maryland, if, I don't, if they didn't make as many mistakes as they did, they could have won that game by 30 plus. So I don't really understand this
1: line 27 and a half. Do you make any sense of that? Uh, not really. I, the thing that doesn't make sense to me and it's a little suspicious is that I think the line was like 28 and a half. And now it's down. I think it's down to 27 on DraftKings when I'm looking at it right now, which is just um, I don't really know why uh, there's people, you know, favoring Charlotte uh, to to cover the spread in, in this situation. I don't know what indicates that maybe they think they break through a little bit. I don't I don't know. Maybe they've watched, you know the film against Charlotte and they've seen every single play. And then they're like, Oh, like maybe this mistake could have, could have had them lose by a touchdown less or, or maybe, maybe they
0: were disappointed by Maryland's offense in week one.
1: And- yeah. yeah it, it absolutely could be a reaction to that as well. I'm still a, a little befuddled by the line, to be honest. Um, Maryland is a team that is in, in a different, you know, realm than, than Charlotte is. And, and I'm to be favored by less than four touchdowns against a team. That, you know, you're saying Maryland's only 10 points better than, William and Mary that that's not exactly adding up to me. The line could add out maybe Maryland takes the, the foot off the gas in the second half, but it, it's definitely a little confusing to me. I tweeted about it when when the line came out as well.
0: Yeah, I don't think really anyone can make sense of it unless we see it actually play out on on Saturday. Um, it's a three thirty kickoff um, again at Charlotte. Maybe that's the factor. It's at Charlotte. I don't. I think anyone expects that to be some crazy hard environment to play on the road, but Maryland doesn't usually go on the road this early in the season. Um, Loxley was asked about it yesterday and he joked, I would much rather be playing this game at home. Um, it wasn't on, it was, this game was on his schedule when he got hired. Yeah. He, also, he also joked that, that maybe he won't be seeing that his schedule play out, which is from 10 years down the line.
1: No, I mean, it was, it was a really like a weird agreement uh, to, to have this series with Charlotte. I think it was, it was DJ Durkin's first agreement as Maryland coach. I could be wrong. Um, but I, I think the agreement was under him as the head coach. Really weird to to go on the road to Charlotte, especially given uh, the timing of it. I mean, Charlotte's only been in the FBS for a decade or so. So just a really interesting game for a, a power five. It's not like Maryland's in the state. Like maybe if, if UNC goes to travel to Charlotte, mm-hmm. like, OK, maybe there's an explanation for that. This one doesn't make that much sense to me, to be quite honest.
0: Yeah, and who knows what it is. But a side you note, know, it is funny that these coaches schedule make their schedules ten years out when almost none of them last that long.
1: But yeah, I mean, he, he, like you said, he joked about not being around for that that Wake Forest series, which was what like twenty thirty one or something like yeah, that, something like that. Uh, I don't even remember. But yeah, the college football scheduling is is another world. But that's a different conversation to to have for a different day.
0: Yeah, so they are on the road. Um, that could that could play a factor, but I do think an early, like, as much as they would like to be playing at home and they should be playing this game at home, I do think an early road trip can be beneficial. I mean, we'll come back for week three at, at SMU, so it will be a night game in College Park, but then they're right back on the road against Michigan. I do think a road trip early on in the season can be beneficial, spending some time together. Um, in close quarters like that like you have to on the road I think it could be beneficial and I think there is some some reward in that even though they should be playing this game at home
1: yeah I 100% agree Um, even Talia said yesterday um, that the team almost feels more comfortable playing on the road because it's just them in the arena and and no one else is there you know to criticize them or or anything like that Uh, not sure I, I agree with that sentiment but You know, if the team feels that way, who am I to tell them differently? I think definitely playing that first road trip against a really inferior opponent should help as well because you have these young guys who are maybe going on the road for the first time in a game-like environment. Like take Roman Hemby, for example, obviously, you know, was with the program last year, played in the bowl game, but has never, you know, been in that starting role in a road environment. Uh, Same with freshman linebacker, Jay Sean Barham. So for them to kind of get that under their belt early, get adjusted to, you know, the intangibles of what it's like to be on the road with the team in a college football environment, despite the opponent will help. And and it should make that experience, you know, a little bit easier when it comes time for the second road game at Michigan, who's a top 10 opponent in the country.
0: Yeah. Um, Anything you want to see play out, really? Um, I mean, I know I talked about that. I want to see big explosive plays from the offense. You want to see the defense continue to make that um, jump in terms of getting to the quarterback and, and really pushing that pocket back. It makes it easier for the secondary. I think we should be able to see that more, even though we don't know exactly who's going to be a quarterback. But so, anything that like that's jumping out that you want to see from this team in a game that we both expect to be a blowout?
1: I think uh, more shots downfield with with the play calling. I think Maryland could have really exposed Buffalo um, over the middle of the field deep last week. And after, you know, we saw Ty Felton uh, get under thrown on that play, they didn't really go back to those sort of plays. Um, I I definitely like to see, you know, more explosive plays, uh, like you said, like that. Um, I I think in, in defense, um, a takeaway um, maybe C.J. Corian grab an interception, Tarheeb Still, Deontay Banks, any of, any of those guys in the secondary uh, come up with the takeaway. I, I think that's a big thing the coaching staff would also look for as well because, you know, as bad as Buffalo plays, I don't, I don't think it's not even Snyder, the quarterback, I don't even think he threw an interception last week. He did week. not, no. 18 for 35, 160 yards, which is, you know, not a good stat line. Yeah, and but they the lost and they
0: lost the turnover battle.
1: Right, right. You want to win the turnover battle and, and you maybe even timely takeaways as well. Um, I think those are probably the two big things for me, um, more downfield shots and more explosive play calling and, and win the turnover battle, um, have the secondary, maybe, maybe Bennett get an interception to his resume here.
0: Yeah. Cause that's something that they wanted to make a jump from 2020 to 2021 last season. They made a slight jump in terms of creating more turnovers. Um, but they want to make an even bigger jump, make some of those pass breakups and interceptions, like we talked about, um, a couple fumbles, you know, those turnover winning turnover battles can be huge for a football game, especially when it's a tight game and maybe the talent level is pretty even Like, and we'll see that play out as the, as the year goes on. But this is a game to, to, to try to kind of improve in that category. You know, I'm just looking at the numbers from last week in Charlotte's game. Um, William and Mary had 560 total yards of offense. I mean, If William & Mary and FCS team had 560 total yards of offense, I can't even imagine uh, the performance that Maryland's going to put up, which is considered um, one of the best offense in the Big Ten, maybe even in the country. They have the talent to be. They have the potential to be. Certainly did not play out, especially that big play potential. It did not play out in Week 1 against Buffalo, but this offense still can be a prolific offense. And if William & Mary put up 560 yards of total offense against Charlotte, I expect Maryland to put up at least – 500 plus probably more so i think we're going to see a huge numbers day from talia and a lot of those uh, wide receivers too
1: i agree um i think if you're in brownland you almost the offense has to explode in this game um just just from like an, it doesn't have to but from an excitement standpoint you look at william and mary did you should be you know doing one and a half times of what they did um against charlotte and you know it, it's it's a you want to kind of explode this game too because smu we know the explosive offense they have uh coming in next week to college park you got to be able to score with them and what could very well be a shootout so th- this week could be a good trial run for that
0: all right so let's get to the score predictions um you want to go first
1: sure i will go first uh let's just read these lines right now as of 12 45 p.m wednesday DraftKings sportsbook Maryland's minus 27. The over-under is 66. Maryland's also minus 5,000 on the money line, which is uh, a little bit crazy there. Don't advise taking that. Um, But I like Maryland to cover the 27-point spread. I think Maryland wins this game by five touchdowns. I think Maryland wins by 35, maybe 34. Maybe we get a, uh, I don't know, blocked extra pointers or some some sort of weird scoring uh, thing in there. I'm going to go Maryland. Florida State. Yeah, something like that, something like that. We'll go Maryland. Uh, we'll go Maryland, 56, Charlotte, 21.
0: Okay, so you have the overhead, too. You said it was 66, right?
1: Yeah, I think I think Maryland is going to go, you know, I think the offense is going to put up crazy numbers in this game, like you said, and I think a couple Charlotte touchdowns may, may come in garbage time as well.
0: Yeah. Um, last week, I think we were, we were pretty accurate. I, I I had it each team scoring a little more touchdown, but I had it a 21 point game. I had Buffalo covering. Um, you know, first game, whatever. Kind of you, you saw some mistakes coming. I'm gonna go. I don't. Th- I think the unders gonna hit, but I'm gonna go 45 to 10. Um, a 35 point victory for Maryland. They'd certainly cover that easily, uh, which I expect them to. I don't think Charlotte's offense, whoever the quarterback is exactly, or maybe it's the both are going to get a bunch of uh, different series to, to try to make something happen. I don't think they're going to have a huge day. I think Maryland is the far superior team. I don't think there's any question about that in terms of their talent, their coaching, everything um, in between. So I think 45 to 10, the, the under is going to hit, but Maryland's going to cover that uh, 27 point spread.
1: Yeah, I, I just want to mention one thing that kind of factors into you know my pick here. Loxley said they want to run like at least twenty more plays per game than they did uh, against uh, Buffalo. Yeah. I think what does he say? Eighty plays per game is, is yeah. what they want. Um, I think they
0: were only like fifty around fifty. Right, less.
1: right. I think some of that factors into you know that opening drive where they kind of just scored in full yeah. plays, but you know also some of that you don't want to be going three and out against teams like Buffalo and Charlotte. A um, lot of that
0: is the third down efficiency. You know, right. if you're staying on the field on third down, you're going to run X many more plays, which is really going to help get that number
1: up. 100%. And I, I think we'll kind of see Maryland be more efficient in that sense and get closer to that 80 number as opposed to, you know, the 50 something that they had last week. Yeah.
0: Um, I agree. So my prediction, uh, 30, uh, 45 to 10, Maryland, and yours. 56. 56,
1: 21. I'm, I'm not feeling too good at, about that. 21 that, is <laughs> a lot of points. That's, for sure. pretty, that's pretty high score, but I I do think Maryland is going to score a, a lot of touchdowns here. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, there's our predictions. There's the breakdown of, of last week's games against last week's game against Buffalo and then the preview coming up here against Charlotte. And we'll talk to you next week and we'll we'll recap that entire Charlotte game, which again, we expect to be a blowout, but we'll see how that plays out. And then we'll get into an SMU game, a huge game, last game in non-conference play before Big Ten play starts, and it'll be a, a huge night game in College Park. Maybe a packed house. We'll see. Should we mention that it was kind of a lackluster fan attendance in the opening game against Buffalo?
1: Yeah, don't don't need to dig into it too much just because of you know the the time start and the opponent. The student section was really good. I thought um, I would have expected a little bit more fan attendance for sure, given the excitement around the program right now.
0: Yeah. One of the most exciting seasons they've had in in over a decade. A little disappointing, but we'll see how we'll see how it plays out against against SMU Saturday night game. You expect something more. But all right, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, enjoy the Charlotte game this weekend, and we'll talk to you next week.